Hello, and welcome back to Dinner at Yiffenies with your host, Take a Iron Hoof. Tonight we'll be reading a story from Bellicose B over at SoFurry.com. If you would like to check out his other works, you can find him at bellicose-b.sofurry.com. In this story, we find a young noblewoman in the throes of a maidenhood struggle when she seeks out a lowly groundskeeper serf to tend to her needs, even if the cost of doing such a thing may very well be great for him. Before we begin, a warning. This story contains elements of non-con, meaning non-consensual, which may or may not discomfort some folks. All characters are of a legal age to be doing this sort of thing, as always. Also, this story is much longer than the other episodes. Feel free to pause and come back at your leisure. The tags for the story are as follows. Bear. Deer. Doe. Male slash female. Oral. Vaginal. Multiple species. Innocence. Penis. Sheath. Straight. Slavery. Licking. Pheromones. Non-consensual. Heat. Heterosexual. Sex. Size difference. Age difference. Cockworship. Impregnation, winter, medieval, mating, servine, chubby, virgin, musk, masturbation, and master-slave. With that out of the way, sit back, relax, and join us as we once again dive into another universe of furry storytelling and erotica. The Warmth of a Slave by Bellicose B. Deep within the isolated mountain ranges of Gran, and beyond the windswept pines which marked the barbarian lands of Kal, the Duchy of Fallas stood obstinately as the longest winter in memory rolled across its countryside. Day after day, night after night, bitter waves of cold wind and ceaseless snow swept across its domain, covering its valleys and blanketing the mountains in endless, bitter swells. The frigid touch of winter had reached every corner of the Felician Highlands, and behind it, the distant memory of summer became harder and harder to conjure. For the humble peasantry of Fallas, who were long inured against the northern climate, the snowstorms were just another inconvenience among a long list of grievances shared by the poor of the land. Steadfastly, they endured the winter as they always had, together. They gathered close in small, huddled groups around their sputtering fireplaces, sharing soup, blankets, and stories of the long hours of the winter crawled along outside their huts. On the rare occasions when necessity brought them outdoors, they hurried along about their business, eager to return home, to warmth, and to safety. Bread still needed to be bought in the markets, however, and animals needed to be fed in their barns. These tasks were about the only reason one might spot a peasant out and about in that time of season, shivering and clutching their ragged cloaks close as they tromped through the knee-high snow. Amidst their hurried way, they shot glances full of ire and jealousy up the forbidding face of the nearby mountainside. There, the keep of the local duke looked down upon them from a place of comfortable superiority, high upon the towering, wind-sheared cliffs. 
dark, heavy smoke rolled upwards from its old stone halls, suggesting plentiful warmth within. Surely the Duke must be cozy, they would think to themselves as they fetched their meager meals or cut wood for their fires. He's got serfs to cut his firewood for him, and plenty of warm meat for his table. Must be nice to be friends of the king. Such thoughts, bitter as they were, never lasted long. Soon enough, the cold would shake the townsmen out of their resentment, and they'd quickly get on about their business, hurrying back to their homes, where kin and comforts awaited them. Once inside, they soon forgot about their lordship and his estate, busy as they'd be in the effort to warm themselves in whatever ways that their meager earnings allowed. The peasantry might have had their own thoughts when it came to the duke and his holdings, as peasants always will, but in truth, the duke was not enjoying the comforts of his home. In fact, he wasn't even there. High above the humble villages and peasant towns of Fallas, the old stone keep of Duke Habron Dvorak stood solid and resolute against the bracing gust of mountain wind. The weathered, gray-stoned castle was one of the oldest buildings in the kingdom, and it bore the wear and scars of a fortress that had seen centuries of war, repair, renovation, and neglect. Mighty armies had once dwelled there in the more glorious days of the kingdom, but on that long, cold eve of winter, the keep was quiet and still, a grave of greater days. Bereft of armies or noble knights, the only movement in those cold, dusty halls was that of serfs and maids. A cooking woman, rubbing her clammy paws together while she waited for her bread to warm in the oven. A lone serf chopping firewood out in the yard, burly and strong, and puffing out his exertion in cool, vaporous clouds. And up in the highest room, the soft sounds of penmanship as the sole noble resident of the castle attended her correspondence. This is the fourth time this month, the young doe wrote, her gusty sigh of exasperation lightly lifting the parchment off the desk. A delicate hand reached down to roll the sheet back onto its surface. He's taken the rest of the soldiers with him this time, and the spare horses. He insists that the hunt will be more entertaining with such a crowd at his side. Entertaining. A nerve. Never mind the fact that that ruckus noise of their gallivanting will likely frighten off all the rest of the beasts of the woods. Giving nothing for the peasants' tables. He's likely hunted the herds to exhaustion by now. And the winter is so long this year. So terribly long. <sighs> this must be getting difficult for the people down in the valley. Only we have the benefit of the climate that you enjoy there in the capital. Setting aside her ink-stained quill for a moment, the young noblewoman leaned back into the soft cushions of her chair, sighing. Despondently, she looked out over the small pile of letters that she had written thus far. A neat stack of inked, perfumed parchment, set waiting for wax and seal, and besides those, another heap of paper still awaited her pen. Pointless, she thought flicking idly at the billowy feather of her pen. Still getting worse. It was out of frustration and a mounting desperation for distraction that Lady Helena Dvorak had taken to writing that evening. With so many long hours of the day left to pass, she had pinned her acquaintances in the distant capital of the kingdom, listing in neat, 
orderly paragraphs the complaints of her station. It didn't matter to her that such letters likely wouldn't be read for weeks yet, or that her correspondence cost her father a small fortune in courier's fees. No, the letters were mostly for her own benefit. To provide her with a means of venting her emotions, God only knew that the maids and the cooks had listened to her whine enough as the morning had passed. Of course, whining hadn't helped her. And, as much as she loathed to admit otherwise, writing letters, of all things, certainly wouldn't do any better either. Lady Helena might have had a good many friends within the distant, glamorous walls of the capital city, but none of them would be of any immediate help to her now. Even if they had some friendly advice for her situation, it wouldn't reach her desk for weeks yet, by which point the matter would already be resolved. Ringing fretfully at her delicate wrist, now sore from an hour of writing, she stood and turned away from her desk with a huff. Her small hooves clopped daintily as she paced back and forth before her writing station. This isn't helping either, she said quietly to herself. Despite her best efforts at remaining calm, a slight twinge of anxiety had found its way into her voice. She tried not to notice it. The shadow on her windowsill told her that it would still be a few hours before dinner, and yet she had already exhausted her options for distraction. She had begun the morning by helping herself to an uncharacteristically large breakfast, a warm plate of buttery scones, candied nuts, breads with sweet jam, and several glasses of sugared berry tea with warm milk. Alas, this only filled her belly and did nothing to sate her other needs. Then, doing her best to excuse herself from the table with some small amount of dignity, she had retired to her room to practice her harp. She had spent a few flustered minutes plinking away at chords and exercises until that too became an effort and futility. Embroidery came afterwards, with well-practiced movements, stitching the emblems of her house and heraldry into soft sheets of fabric. Now, writing. No use. Nothing helped. For amidst it all, the wet aching need between her legs had stubbornly refused to be ignored. It was maddening. A weak, defeated sigh eased itself from her slender throat, and she stopped pacing to lean against the cold, stone wall of her room. The chilled surface of the brickwork offered a brief moment of relief, but only for a moment. She was deep in the throes of her first heat, supposedly a proud moment for any lady, but for her, it was agony. A walk. She decided, huffing quietly against the stone. The soft, tawny hide of her cheeks had already started to turn flush. Some fresh air will do me nicely. Slipping a heavy, woolen overcoat atop her slim gown, Helena left the comforts of her maidenly chambers behind. It was already deep into the late months of winter, and the old stone halls of the keep were frigid, despite the torches that the serfs had put up at every corner, frigid and quiet. The castle was deathly still, despite the daylight hour. Empty. Her father, the Duke of Follis, was down in the capital on the business of the king, while her brother Malik was out on one of his incestuous hunts in the nearby countryside. They had robbed the keep of almost all of its soldiers between the two of them, leaving her alone with a small contingent of maids, servants, cooks, and serfs. 
The silence did nothing to help her condition, of course. She could still hear her own blood, hot and wild despite her calm pace, running through her long ears as she made her way downstairs. She strode through the halls with no particular direction in mind, keeping her pace steady and her back straight as she had been taught. In the absence of her father and brother, she was the highest nobility left in the keep, and it was her responsibility to maintain the presence and dignity of the family in their absence. She passed through silent, dusty halls, long abandoned, and from there found herself wandering on instinct into the candlelit study of her father. That turned out to be a mistake. The scent of a strong, healthy male buck nearly made her breathless, and she swiftly left the cozy, dimly lit chamber behind, wondering why she had even gone in there at all. Ever since she was a fawn, it had always been a place of comfort and peace. And now, it just reeked of something which only agitated her. Mortifying, she thought, stopping briefly to catch her breath. I should stay clear of Mother's chambers as well. Bad enough that Father's scent has such an effect on me. After that, the young buck found herself moving quickly despite her best efforts at self-control. It wasn't long before she arrived at the end of her route, having passed through one torch-lit corridor after another until she breached even the exterior doors of the keep. The cold, wintry air blasted across her thin form as she pulled the heavy oaken doors open, revealing the frigid expanse of the courtyard. From the threshold, she could see the whole of her family's estate spread out before her. Their castle had been constructed in a roughly rectangular form, with the great stone walls of their keep encircling the soldiers' barracks, the courtyard, the old church, and a few of the servants' buildings, all of which set astride the manor where her family resided. The courtyard's lush gardens had long since frozen over, and the trees which grew up alongside their wrought iron borders huddled close together as though seeking warmth from each other. Their long, bare limbs wrapped around each other in a skeletal embrace bereft of leaves, a thick layer of snow blanketed the ground with their roots. It'd be months still before it thawed. On any other day, there would normally be a guardsman or two out in the courtyard to watch over the old gates of the keep, but the portcullis stood unmanned as Helena stepped from the warm shelter of the hall. The whole courtyard was likely abandoned. The flower beds had all shriveled and grown gray in their beds, and the graves in front of the church sagged in the frozen dirt, leaning against each other like tired old men. Neither bird nor beast could be seen amongst the frostbitten, snow-dusted foliage of the gardens. With the exception of the drifting snow, the scene was as still as a painting. Then, just as Helena thought she was alone, a swift, sudden noise caught her attention. Her long ears swiveled towards the sound. There, under the cover of the slender trees which lined up along the western wall, one of the castle's serfs was busily laboring over a pile of firewood. His massive form rose up briefly as he hefted his axe, before falling once again with a sharp, practiced movement, cleaving the block in two. For a brief moment, Helena simply stared at the hulking figure, captivated by his rugged appearance. She felt no shame in staring, confident in the fact that he hadn't yet noticed her. He was one of the Kolops, the bear folk serfs that had been captured in battle by her grandfather 
during the Barbarian Wars many years ago. Despite the bitter cold of the season, she was surprised to see that the serf hardly wore any clothing. A dirty pair of torn breeches provided him with some modesty and an open sackcloth vest set atop his broad shoulders, straining to contain the burly muscles of his back and chest. She knew that the serfs of the keep were afforded few luxuries, but she was amazed that he didn't have at least a coat or a cape or something of the sort. He must have been freezing, but then again... The doe blinked, astounded as she abruptly realized something odd about the brawny figure. Taking a careful step around the frostbitten perimeter of the gardens, she dared approaching to observe him more closely. Sure enough, she was right. The bear had no snow upon his shoulders. She watched in awe as a thin veneer of steam rose from his hulking frame, floating in the haze towards the bare limbs of the trees above. His dark, rough fur was damp from the snow, but not a single trace of it lingered upon him. It seemed as though the mere warmth of his body heat was enough to melt the snow just as soon as it touched him. Remarkable, she thought, gawking without even realizing it. So warm, even out here in the dead of winter. I had always heard that the co-ops were a sturdy sort of folk, but this? Suddenly, the surf stopped in his labors, turning his broad head aside to look in her direction. He was older than she had thought at first glance. His face was hoary and grizzled and weathered by years of forced labor. A long gray beard hung limp against his chest. Beneath a heavy brow, his dark sunken eyes regarded her calmly. His expression betrayed no hints of emotion. Helena froze in her place as he looked down at her, caught in some deeply ingrained instinct. Despite her position, she almost felt as though she needed to apologize to the surf, as though she had intruded upon him somehow, upon him, even though this was her family's estate. Her words got stuck in her throat. The bear, for his part, said nothing. His soft, wet nose twitched as he looked back at her. Suddenly, Helena recalled why she had left her room in the first place. Lady Helena. A familiar, wavering voice abruptly called out to her breaking through the tenuous silence of the moment. Turning back towards the sound, the doe looked behind her towards the door of the keep. A faint smile crossed her lips. It was Mara, one of the older maids who had been attending to her since she was just a fawn. She must have noticed her absence, sweet thing that she was. The withered old shrew was already shuffling out towards her, trudging through snow that reached up to her knees, and reaching out with a shaky paw for Helena to come back inside. Her thin, ragged shawl fluttered across her narrow shoulders. If she were any more frail-looking, Helena suspected that the breeze would simply carry her away. What in God's name are you doing out and about in this dreadful chill, my lady? She asked, shaking her white-furred head. She tossed an annoyed look over at the burly surf, who only stared back at her impassively. It was a moment's exchange of emotions, too quick for Helena to understand. Then the maid pulled her back inside, and Helena didn't bother to resist. She followed Mara back into the warm shelter of the halls, away from the bitter cold and the dark, inscrutable eyes of the call-up. 
for reasons she couldn't entirely understand. She almost felt relief to be out of his sight. Letting the whole winter keeping the door open like that, young miss. The maid busily got to work, wiping away at the little patches of snow which had drifted onto Helena's clothing. In truth, the doe hadn't even noticed. Now that she was back inside, however, she only just began to realize how cold she had been out there. Oh, I'm sorry. She murmured, letting the old shrew work. Mara had served as both her governess and her caretaker ever since her mother had passed from the ague, and the maid was one of the only peasants in the keep with whom Helena felt she could be honest. She looked down, noticing the snow which clung to her servant's tattered skirt. She felt some shame for it. Forgive me. Helena continued. I've been a bit scatterbrained of late. I haven't been feeling well, you know? The maid finished cleaning off Helena's coat, giving a few cursory sniffs about the air with a wrinkled snout. She nodded sagely. Oh, yes, I can imagine. First heat and all that. Terrible time for a young lady. Helena blushed. It was hardly a matter that she felt appropriate discussing with a peasant, kind and wise as Mara might have been. Taking the noble woman by the paw, the old shrew guided Helena back into the heart of the keep and back up the stairs towards her chambers. Suppose it's for the best that the soldiers are all out today, Mara said, groaning as she reached the top of the stairs. Not right to have a lady here about with such a condition, and no father in sight. His lordship should have known better. You're about the age, after all. Excuse me, Mara? The shrew made a face, winking. What? No need to be shy about it with me, Missy. Who do you think helped your mother with these very same problems? If not me, then who else? We're both women here, my lady. Returning the doe to her rooms, Mar gave her a knowing smile. It'll pass, miss. Always does. Give it the day, and you'll feel right as rain tomorrow. It never lasts that long. Helena nodded, despite her reservations to discuss the subject. She supposed that she did trust Mara's judgment after all. The maid had been a dependable part of the keep staff since long before her own birth, and she had seen more winters than her, her brother and her father put together. Since her mother's passing many years ago, the old shrew was the only other person in the keep whom Helena could trust with this sort of matter. But what do I do about the... The symptoms? She asked quietly. The maid waved a paw, as though the question was of no great concern. Surely, at her age, she had dealt with more heat seasons than one could easily count. Take a handful of snow from the windowsill, she said. Put it in a bowl, let it melt, and then just dip a rag into the cool water to wash yourself. The chill will keep back the heat. Just don't go giving yourself a cold. She gripped the doe's paw, squeezing it firmly. Don't you fret now, miss. This just means you're growing up. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing at all. Now, you just stay in your room and keep yourself cool. We'll see you downstairs for supper, same as always. Giving her lady one last reassuring smile, 
The maid then left Helena to herself, closing the door behind her as she went. A moment passed. Then another. Helena waited for the soft sound of the shrew's footsteps to fade back down the hall before following her advice. Placing her snow-dampened coat back upon the wall rack, she quickly removed her dress and undergarments before setting them neatly aside. Now that she was inside the keep once again, her hide was already starting to grow warm and sweat beaded upon her fur like little jewels of moisture. The scent of her heat filled the room, cloying the air. Absurd, she thought. How likely take ages to get the stench out of the linens. Making her way over to the windowsill, the doe drew open the closed shutters and let the panels open, allowing the chilled air to sweep inside through a narrow slit. From this little opening, she reached out and scooped up a small pile of snow from the ledge, gathering the frozen clump in her palm before placing it into her handkerchief. It swiftly melted there, just as Mara said it would. Then, Helena wasted no time in pressing the icy, damp material between her legs. A shudder immediately rolled across her thin form, and she stifled a cry at the frigid touch. Oh no. She moaned. No, God. There simply must be a better way than this. Lifting the sodden cloth up from between her thighs, Helena looked down at herself in shame. Her folds, usually a soft shade of pink and discreet, had become puffy and inflamed over the last several hours. She was incredibly sensitive. Heat radiated from her, as though she were fevered. Sighing, the young doe went back to her bed, sprawling out upon it and closing her eyes as she pressed the chilled cloth back up against herself. The cold dampened the warmth that she'd felt there, but only superficially. Deeper within, her body still felt aflame with desire. She wasn't a child. She knew what it was her body wanted. She bit her lip as the wetened fabric slid gently against her, moving against heated flesh and jarring her as it rubbed past the soft, pink hood of her clit. It'll pass, she told herself. Every maiden goes through this. I have plenty of snow, and plenty of linens. I just need to stay here and let it pass. It was one thing to tell herself that, of course, but another entirely to experience it. The cloth warmed up far too quickly, and she was forced to make several trips back and forth to the window for snow to cool it down. Soon, the soft sheets of her bed were damp from the melted ice and from her own wetness. Hardly an hour had passed since Mara had left. It was in that state, with her head thrown back against the soft, warm pillows of her bed, biting her lip as she tried to keep herself calm, that she finally allowed her finger to dip lightly into herself. Her body reacted immediately. She clenched hard, stifling a helpless moan into her pillow as her fingers slipped further and further within. There, buried to the knuckle, she allowed herself to feel pleasure despite knowing the consequences. A doe's heat couldn't be satisfied with her fingers alone. She'd tried it that very morning and already knew well how worse it made things. Even as she touched herself in every way that she knew how, rubbing at delicate, warm flesh and stroking at sensitive nerves, 
All she did was further stoke the fires that already lingered in her belly. The need boiled below her gut, furious, nearly painful. She whimpered desperately into the pillows. The rag that had been left behind by that point tossed onto the floor. Unfair. She sobbed into the sheets. Unfair that she had to go through so humiliating a condition while her brother got to traipse across the countryside, free as a songbird. How could she expect to cope with such a terrible thing? Unbearable. Unreasonable. The sudden sound drew Helena out of the depths of her frustrated ecstasy. With her fur dampened and tousled with sweat, she turned to look at the window, abruptly recalling that she left it open. Praying that no one had heard the sound she had made, she hurried over to close it. As she made her way across her chambers to the window, however, she caught a glance outside. The sight froze her in place. There, out in the yard, the call-up serf still labored over his pile of firewood, stoically hacking away at one block after another. That thin veneer of steam still rose up from his hulking musculature, hinting at the immense heat which rolled off of his form. Helena found herself staring at the surf for far longer than she knew she ought, admiring him, without even knowing why. She had never found the slaves to be particularly interesting before. They were boorish, uneducated, unmannered, and besides, it wasn't proper for her to speak with them, as they were below her station. Nevertheless, the young noblewoman was inexplicably captivated by the sight of the bear, lost as he was in his labors. Hidden by the soft, pale curtains of her window, she watched him with wide eyes, letting her gaze drift over the rough curves of his body. He was so terribly masculine, she thought, so crude, in that barbarian sort of way. She supposed that she had seen him many times over the years, working on the grounds and such, but she couldn't for the life of her remember his name. She snorted brusquely. What does it matter? She thought. But then her eyes rolled back down to the wide expanse of the courtyard, back to him, and suddenly she found her hand slipping back between her sopping thighs. An obscene thought pressed itself into her head as she continued to watch the brutish surf work. As her fingers slid back inside, a tremor passed through her. She imagined, appalled at herself for even doing so, what the bear would look like without clothes on, of any kind. Even worse, what they would look like together in such a state. The mere thought was absurd, and yet, as she delicately fingered at the damp petals of her sex, it stirred her in ways that she had never imagined. Her body tensed suddenly as a rush of pleasure shot through her, and she bit her lip once more to prevent a bleated moan from escaping her. Down below, the surf labored on, completely oblivious to the effect he was having on her. She almost hated him for it. A dozen ideas swam through the doe's head as she pleasured herself there by the windowsill, her legs trembling in bliss. A part of her screamed to punish the bear for instilling such dreadful thoughts into her body, but others, others told her that this was the solution to her problems.
that lowly slave could do for her what the frigid cloth could never achieve. With her mouth slightly parted and her hand dipped between her legs, Helena sighed softly. A gust of breeze stirred the curtains, causing her soft, pink nipples to harden. It's so cold out there. She knew where the thought was going. Addled by her heat, she ignored the thousand reasons why it never should have come to pass. Perhaps it wouldn't be so bad to invite him inside. To warm up? In truth, Pavel didn't mind the cold. Cold is good for the tribe of his father once told him. It feeds out the voice from the mean, and the seek from the strong. The cold does kill you quickly like a cockyard or an arrow in the back. It takes its time with you, makes you fight it, wears you down with it. A strong man can carry the cold on his back for days. A weak man will die to it and let himself be buried by it. Which of these men would you be, Pavel? Strong words. Pavel remembered them fondly, even decades later. It was, in fact, one of the few memories from his youth that the old serf could still conjure up with any measure of accuracy. He recalled so crisply the cold mountain air of the north, the towering pines rising up all around him, like giants, and the safety that he felt with his brothers, his tribe. As for his father, that tall, imposing figure from his cub years, the image was harder to conjure. He paused for the briefest moment in his work, axe raised high above his graying head. No use. It was too long ago now. He had forgotten his face. Ironically, it wasn't the snow or the cold which had killed his father. It was the arrows and the kapiai, which he had so easily mopped. His tribe had been attacked by the Yuzhni Mushini, the southern men, and his father was one of many who had been slain in the ensuing battle. Pavel himself had only been a cub at the time, too young to fight, too useful to be left behind. His fate wasn't to die in the battle like his father. Puffing out a breath of warm, foggy air, the surf lined another block up on the stand. No, it was the long, cold death of servitude, which would be his end. He had been taken in as a surf, now nearly 50 years old. Lifting his axe, Pavel swung it down with a swift, practiced movement, cutting through the block of frozen wood with effortless ease. He had been chopping wood like this for as far back as he could remember, cutting firewood, lifting brick pallets, hauling wagons. Working for the southerners had given him a body that even his father might have envied, and yet it did him little good. The cold was his only real enemy out here, always present always biting at him from all sides. Muscles didn't help. His broad form steamed as the snow melted atop his shaggy graying hide. Humid gust as he swung, restacked, and swung again. He endured it, 
He had worn such cold for years, after all. Such was his work. With a gruff sigh, the old brown bear bent down to prepare yet another block for the stand. Beneath his heavy brow, his dull amber eyes focused only on the next act. He didn't even turn to look when the Lord's daughter approached him once again from across the courtyard. He didn't need to. He could smell her before she came within earshot. Excuse me. She eventually called out to him. She had stopped a few feet away from his pile, lingering by the frozen borders of the garden like a thin willow, her cloak billowing in the snowy breeze. Her voice was reedy and thin. She sounded almost distraught. Sir? A moment if you could spare it. Even after decades of living amongst them, Pavel understood only a little of the southerner's language. It had never been formally taught to him, and the locals had no patience for teaching serfs like himself. He knew the words that he needed for work, and the words for eating and resting. Only what was essential. Still, recognizing that he was being addressed by one of the nobles, he dutifully hefted his axe over his shoulder and stood, groaning a bit as he rolled his aching shoulder. He easily towered over the doe, and from this great height, he looked down at her. She was clearly deep in her first heat, the poor thing. The ripe smell of it clung to her elegant clothes, profound and heady, and it drowned out the fine perfumes that she had vainly used to try and cover it. The combined stench made his nose twitch. Fertile, the scent told him. Ready. He ignored the thought. It came from an ugly, animal part of him, one long subdued beneath labor and weariness. It must be cold out here. She continued softly, shivering in the snow. Pavel didn't immediately respond to her. Was that a question? A statement? Had he misunderstood her? Of course it was cold. That was obvious. Leave enough firewood. Gesturing towards the growing stack behind him, he turned back towards it, blinked stoically, and then looked at her. Despite her high station, she seemed hesitant to meet his gaze. Quite unlike her father, the lord of the castle, he shrugged at her words. Rabota dozna bitzdilena, he said gruffly reaching up with a heavy paw to scratch at his chin. Her eyes followed his claws, wide like a child's. He supposed that she rarely got this close to corrupts like himself. Robota, the work needs doing. She nodded, but otherwise didn't budge. Odd. The young lady of the house had always seemed like such a timid little thing to Pavel, but then again they'd never much had the occasion to speak before. Her responsibilities kept her mostly in the manor where ladies belonged, and his in the courtyard. He'd watched her grow up from a distance, seeing her play in the gardens as a young fawn, or catching glimpses of her fair face through her window on long cold nights. Eventually, she spoke up again. You needn't cut any more for the day. You can stop for now. She pointed towards the axe, insistent now. A moment passed, 
as he tried to parse through what she said. Oh, he thought. She wants me to stop. My work must have just interrupted or nap or something like that. Shrugging his shoulders once more, he rumbled an apology in his native tongue and set the axe on the ground near his pile. He certainly wouldn't complain about getting the chance to have an early start on his other chores. As he made to turn back towards the servants' quarters, she suddenly darted forward and grabbed at his paw, stopping him. The bear froze in his tracks, his haggard face drawing up in surprise as she held him. Her hand was so small, it could fit neatly into his palm. I don't think your, uh, abode is quite warm enough. Small bits of snow were beginning to build up on her coat. You should come inside the manor, where it's warmer. Pavel blinked in confusion. He wasn't allowed inside the castle. The last time he had gone in there was to beg for food from the maids, back when he was just a scrawny cub, freshly delivered from a cage. He looked hesitantly up towards the manor, doubt written on his grizzled old features. She seemed to sense his concern. Please, don't worry. I promise that you won't get into any trouble. Easy enough for her to say, he thought. Her silly little games could earn me a few new scars. Shaking his heavy head, he murmured a few words of apology, doing his best to explain himself in a spattering of mixed languages. He didn't dare try to pry his paw away from her. It would be the height of danger to touch her against her will. He did pull gently back towards his hut. She didn't budge. Worse still, the poor thing looked so terribly hurt as he tried to get away that he almost recanted. Her slim body trembled beneath her cloak and her eyes were desperate, perhaps almost fearful. Suddenly, she steeled herself. A look of resolve came over her lovely features and suddenly she looked very much like her father. She spoke to him again, this time with a commanding voice. It wavered only slightly. You will join me inside the manor. Now. There was no room for argument in that tone. If he dared to deny an order from one of the Lord's children, he'd be in for a world of pain when the soldiers returned. A low rumble of unease was all the complaint that she got. Bowing his head, he followed the doe back towards the manor, towards the home of his conquerors, which he had never dared to trespass. He had hoped whatever game she was playing at wouldn't take long. Helena led the serf back through the dark halls of Keep Kaderabek, taking care to avoid the kitchens and the servants' quarters as she guided him towards her chambers. Despite his surly appearances and obvious strength, he seemed just as terrified as a child sneaking about in the pantry. His expression was wary, anxious, and she found no small measure of mirth in watching him pad quietly through the cold corridors. Now that they were inside, together, the rush of what they were doing seemed all the more real. 
and she struggled to keep calm demeanor as she hurried him up the stairs. Blessedly, they reached her rooms with no interruptions. There was a brief hiccup when the serf refused to go inside, planting himself like a tree in the hallway and stubbornly shaking his heavy head at her request. But eventually, her own will won out. She pleaded, and then whispered threats, most of which he probably couldn't understand. Eventually, he gave a low, grumbling sigh and ducked inside. She followed him gleefully, shutting and locking the latch behind them. Once inside, the old bear simply stood by the door. His great, burly arms were tucked neatly at his sides, and although his head hung low, his eyes wandered around the room, watchful. Helena supposed that he had never been in a noble woman's bedchambers before. She could only wonder at the differences that might have existed between her posh residency and wherever it was that he slept. In any case, it hardly mattered. Taking the cloak from her back, she hung it up on the wall and turned towards him, doing her best to smile. Well, isn't this cozy? She asked, clasping her hands before her hips. The bear merely stared back at her. I suppose that you're not much of a conversationalist, are you? I can't imagine that you've any experience with the gentry, but that's hardly your fault now, is it? Let's start with names, perhaps. She gestured towards herself. I am Lady Helena Dvorak. You are? For a brief moment, the bear simply watched her, his somber eyes flicking from her hand to her face. Then he seemed to understand the nature of her question, and he gently tapped at his chest with a broad paw. Pavel, he said gruffly. The word brought a smile to the doe's face. She simply adored the sound of the surf's voice, so rough, so powerful and raw, without any effort. It was marvelous, in the basest sort of way. Pavel. Lovely name, that. There were so many different things she could say now that introductions were complete. She could offer to get them drinks, tea perhaps, or snacks. She could show him what she had learned about the harp, or allow him to see the work that she had made with her embroidery. These were the first ideas that jumped to her mind, and for good reason. They were the sorts of things that a noblewoman would offer to a guest, and the only things she was accustomed to offering. Helena's smile faded slowly as she recalled the reason that she had brought him there. She really didn't need to bother with formalities for a slave, did she? By the doorway, Pavel hung his head down once again, and his eyes had demurely fixed themselves upon the floor. Pavel, she said, drawing his attention. When he was looking at her once again, those big golden eyes fixated on her body in the same way that she had looked at him from above. She acted. And with that, we conclude part one of our story. If you would like to read this story for yourself in its entirety, you can check it out at sofurry.com slash view slash 1750446.
as you all noticed, we're beginning to make our production better, including new voices. I'd like to take a second for them to say a few words. Good evening, everyone. My name is Melody, and as you can see, I am one of Takem's new voice actresses. If you are a Genshin fan or a fan of Spicy A, you may recognize my voice from some of his comics. But if you would like me to voice in any of your comics or stories, please feel free to contact me on Twitter at MelodySketch327, or you can email me at MelodySketch327 at gmail.com. I am more than open and free to do anything NSFW or SFW. I speak English and Spanish, so if you need a Spanish voice actress, I'm also open. I am open to voice act in any fandom, whether that be a furry fandom or non-furry fandom. Regardless, I am more than free and open and willing to voice in anything. So please, feel free to contact me again at MelodySketch327 on Twitter or MelodySketch327 at gmail.com. It has been a great pleasure working with Takeum, voicing as both Helena and Mara in his reading of Warmth of a Slave, and I am more than happy to voice in any more of your works, so please feel free to contact me anytime you need me. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed yourself this evening. This has been Dinner at Giffany's with Takeum Ironhoof. Good night, and come again.